0: match to edumatch thank you so much for tuning in so glad to have you here so today i am honored because we have Sosun jaber with us so welcome to edumatch SoSun. great to have you here
1: thank you for having me
0: oh thank you thank you so it is truly an honor and a privilege to be able to chat with you today so for those of you who are not familiar with SoSun, let me tell you a little bit about her she is a student focused educator of 18 years a lifelong learner check this check this out she's a phd candidate and a national board certified teacher candidate and a mother of three awesome kids. And she is contributing to a better tomorrow. So that is awesome. Before we get started,
1: I have to ask you, how do you do it all? How do you do all of this? Uh, No sleep is a big part of it (laughs) or very little of it. really it's just about, you know, setting strict timelines for myself and kind of keeping with those timelines and um, letting those worlds merge together as much as possible. So a lot of what I'm doing for my national boards kind of overlaps with my dissertation topic. And a lot of that is brought right into my classroom with my full-time job. So, I mean, it's working as of now. Uh, sometimes it feels a little overwhelming, but we're doing okay.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. I love that. I love what you said about like, kind of like the working the middle. So <laughs> yeah. definitely with the overlap and uh, just how how you are able to accomplish so much because uh, a lot of your um, your work intertwined. So that is, that is amazing. So awesomeness. So tell us a little bit about your background and who or what inspired you to go into education.
1: Well, I think I've known that I wanted to be a teacher since I was nine. Um, I had a fourth grade teacher who was just so awesome I wanted to be her. Um, I think that's probably the story that a lot of educators tell. Uh, it's usually an educator who inspires others to go into education. Um, I started, I graduated from high school in three years as the valedictorian of my class, uh, went on to finish my five-year education program in three years. I had my first daughter's well, I was in a rush to finish before she got older and she her, her needs grew. Um, And then I went into the private sector because they had a daycare and it was a challenge. They were having a hard time finding teachers. So went into the private sector, was there for about eight years um, as a teacher and then a uh, department chair. Um, And then my husband decided to move to Dubai. So we moved to Dubai with him and there I was a head of department. Then I moved on to a curriculum um director for a chain of four schools and then i was recruited to be a quality assurance uh evaluator with a team of 14 professionals from around the world um to work with 256 principals in the public sector of dubai which was an absolutely enlightening and amazing experience because it gave me a window into education around the world um, which was absolutely awesome and i did that until my husband decided to move back so we came back with him and since then i've been um I decided that it was about time that I did my PhD. Um, So I'm in the classroom again um, and enjoying it. And it definitely is something that needed to happen for a lot of different reasons. Um, Working in a public school, uh, a very um, Uh, homogenous population public school for the most part, but the demographics are changing just like they are in a lot of cities around the the globe, um, and especially here in the United States, and that has really opened my eyes and changed my career path because initially when I wanted to start my PhD I was thinking to do it in English, Um, but then this experience has changed me in a lot of ways and changed my career path in a lot of ways
0: wow absolutely and i can't wait till we start digging into to some of that some of your story um so what are what are some of your passions in education
1: Well, as a learner, um, I think that I just want to know everything about anything. Uh, I think I'm going to be in school forever. So once I finish my PhD, I plan on going back for another master's. Um, I probably will eventually get that PhD in English, just because it's something I intended to do since a long time ago, and I probably will get it. I'm always learning uh, by reading, by listening to podcasts. Um, I make it my business to attend at least one to two conferences annually. Um, focused on different things. So I'm definitely passionate about learning and continuing to learn because education is always changing. As an educator, um, I think it's really important for me to build a bridge for my students um, between their learning in the classroom and the outside world, and for my teachers as well. So one of the big questions that I always try to address is how will you have impact? Um, And that's something that I ask the teachers when I'm an administrator and when I ask my students as as a teacher in the classroom, Um, And I think that's really important because as we learn and we build understanding throughout the year, that question becomes a loaded question that has a lot of meaning to the students. And I always say to my kids, this is the selfie generation. They have a really hard time kind of stepping out of what revolves around them and looking at a bigger picture and seeing an outside world, which I feel like today is more important than anything else any other time. So um, they have to be cognizant of and aware of the thoughts and actions and how they, how their thoughts and actions impact others. And, and like I, I constantly always tell them, when you we grow up listening to when I grow up, when I grow up, when you walk into my classroom, I want you to think that you're here, you're grown up, you have power, you have impact, you can have so much impact in your school, in your community, um, educating people towards social justice, even if it's just raising awareness, that's a big deal. Um, so every skill that they learn and every skill that we build is one small step building to that larger, more complex understanding.
0: Wow. Yes, absolutely. I'm feeling you on that. And um definitely the power that the that the kids have now, like when you see just the, the movements that that youth are, you know, amplifying and spearheading online, it's just it's just amazing like what this generation can do and is doing. So absolutely. Yeah.
1: yeah I agree with that. And I feel like technology has really opened the doors for them to have that lar- that bigger voice and that larger impact. Just like it's opened the door for a lot of, to, for people to be vocal on both sides. So they really have to use their voices in a in a way that they can enhance their citizenship as a part of a member of the community and be cognizant of the power of their voice, whether it's a, a positive or negative voice, but it has power and impacts others.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, that impact is real. Just, uh, just seeing, you know, just just what some of our kids are doing, like for um for example, the the Parkland, the students from Parkland and how they have just really used uh technology to 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 just spark a movement and and continue it and, and get that support.
1: Absolutely. And that's, that's an example that we used in the classroom like when it was happening, because I've, that's an issue that adults and parents and legislators and educators have been trying to draw attention to. And a group of students who decided to take it on were able to have more impact and push more than all of the other adults in that picture. So that's definitely a great example.
0: Definitely, definitely. So as we said at the beginning, you do it all. Like you were so, you are like my Shiro right now, because you're doing so many things. So tell us about um, your your doctoral journey thus far and your area of research.
1: So I was the typical nerd growing up. And everybody used to go play outside. And I was the one under a table reading a book or something. So everybody knew that I was going to you know, get my PhD. It was a dream of mine since I was a child. And so I knew that's something that I definitely wanted. Um, because it meant a lot to me. It was part of who I was and so I always I loved English so much because I felt like it was a place where everybody can find themselves, um, whether it was through a character or situation or a book or a poem or there was a place for every person to find themselves And so I definitely wanted to teach English at a college level. That was my initial dream but um, my recent experiences as an educator and as a parent in a post 9-11 world and in our current education, in our current uh, political climate has definitely pushed me to believe that there's uh, a bigger job for me out there that's beyond just a passion. Um, and I feel like, you know, that there within they're, they're, there's definitely more diversity happening. Um, that's something that, you know, by 2040, by 2030, 40% of our student populations will be much more diverse and the demographics are changing across the country. Um, and with that happening, it's having a dual reaction of, You know, people getting scared of that change, um, as change usually does make people get scared, but um, it's also educating a lot of people in, in some ways. So it can work both ways. And I believe that we definitely need more diversity in the voices that determine the work that is being done in curriculum. Um, culturally sustaining pedagogy, and having a growingly diverse growing, like populations growing, we're moving from this, we have to move from the status of those students that are in our classrooms being a challenge that we need to overcome, and problems that need to be fixed, to them becoming assets and resources that we can learn from, and can enrich our educational journeys, and the educational journeys of the students that we serve. And that needs to be the mindset in every classroom, um, and not just teacher-based, or administrator-based, um, so those that are willing to take the risk and, and, and do the extra learning and, and, and take the risk of a lot of the pushback that comes with that stepping out of a box, that's, those are the kids that are having that exposure. And if not, then it's really more of the same traditional thought and the one narrative stories that they're listening to in their classrooms day after day. So I really decided I, it was that kind of that experience that made me decide that I would like to work more with curriculum and getting some of those things integrated long-term into the curriculum as opposed to just teaching, you know, something that I definitely was passionate about. So it kind of merged both of my worlds together.
0: You are listening to EduMatch.
1: Daddy's Favorites is
0: a book about sibling rivalry and exceptionalities and autism and love and i hope that all families can read it and find joy in it and i also hope that children who read it will be able to get kind of an insider view of how other people that have exceptionalities experience life and how their family dynamics are the same and different to um, maybe what yours are so I hope that you really enjoy the book and I can't wait to hear all the feedback. Now back to more learning on the edge of match podcast.
1: I'm a covered hijabi. That's what we call the head cover, a Muslim head cover, the woman's Muslim head cover. I'm a hijabi. I cover my hair and just, In our current political climate, with a lot of the Islamophobia that's obviously in the media and everywhere, we're immersed in it, whether we like it or not. And I think my physical presence sometimes in representation is very important in in and of itself in a homogenous district like like the one I work in Um, and in other districts, just a representation of somebody who looks like me, who's working in a positive life light to counter some of the negative that, or a lot of the negative that, that that students and parents are seeing. So, and research shows that when students see themselves represented through the adults in their lives, then they show 28% more gains academically. So it's important in a lot of different ways. Um, as the only minority teacher in my district, uh, my physical presence is important um, because students can see that you know, I can love them and I can relate to them and I can advocate for them just like any other teacher who looks like them. Um, my first year was a big challenge and it, every year is a challenge, but my first year was a first challenge because I guess it wasn't something that I expected or I had ever really dealt with in an uh, in a professional setting. Um, I had students who didn't, parents who didn't want their kids in my classroom from just by, you know, just by seeing me, when they saw me, they didn't want their kids in my classroom. I, I had a student who came in and said, Ms. Jaber, my father says you're a terrorist. And so in, in the middle of class, and that was something that to me was in that moment, I had to act fast and to me, it was a teachable moment. So I, I thanked him and I appreciated his courage because I felt like he had he was able to verbalize the elephant in the room for a lot of the other students. And I embraced the conversation. To me, um, I stopped teaching for two days and we just talked about it. And, the stu- and, and this conversation took on many forms and many layers and many steps, obviously. Um, but it started with, let's figure out where this, Feeling comes from, or where this idea comes from, and when we got to the core of it, it was clear that you know we this is what we've been exposed to, and we are immersed in these images and these ideas, and what we don't understand, we fear. So when we were able to come to that conclusion, as a class, then it was I I gave them the opportunity to how do we get rid of fear? We learn and we understand. So let's learn. What do you want to know about me? So I was able to answer, and I gave them the opportunity to ask me anything they wanted to ask me. Um, and I just answered questions, all kinds of questions from do you have hair to do you sleep with your headscarf on to, you know, what American values do you embrace? Um, a lot of my students were shocked that I was born and raised here. Um, you know, it was really hard for them to even understand that I could be born and raised here and, and wear a head cover. So it was a very big um I guess, disconnect between understanding culture and religion and and kind of the, 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 the two things and how they're different, but they kind of could overlap and impact, you know, a person's personality. But you can also be American and still be Muslim at the same time. You didn't have to choose to be one or the other. Um, so it was a really rich conversation that we had in the classroom. And on the third day, the father called me and I always tell my students, whenever we have rich conversations, go back and talk to your family, go back and talk to your friends, like, you know, spread the learning and have these conversations outside and come back and report so we can have further conversations. And so he came back the next day and he had the conversation with his parent. His father called and thanked me. Um, because they were never able to have that conversation prior to them meeting me and and having the opportunity to have that conversation. And so that was a really it was a big turning point for me because I was afraid of having the conversation for the first time and afraid of the reaction of some of the parents. But it also gave me the power to realize that there was a need for these conversations. And um, this was the first step to really breaking down those walls and and those barriers um, between myself and my students and just teachers and students all together. So um, it was. It was that was a really big thing, and it didn't really. It wasn't just limited to students and their questions and their issues. I've had teachers who have come to me and said, "How do your people feel? Af- how do you feel after what your people did in France after the um, the bombing in France a few years ago?" And like my students need to t- to interview an immigrant. Can they interview you or like parents who feel like some of these conversations? And I've been called un American or racist. Because I bring up these kinds of conversations, uh, and we do everything. We do Native Americans, and we talk about what Thanksgiving means to Native Americans, and what does it mean to the general American? What have we been taught? We talk about the wall in Mexico. We talk about the Confederate monuments and what they stand for to, to different groups of people. We talk, we talk about all of it. Um, of course, everything is connected to our standards and it's all about critical thinking and, and looking at both sides. I never give an opinion, but I present them with all the facts on both sides, the different opinions, and then they have to, I always tell them, find your own truth because that's what this is really about. Don't take anything you hear from any one source, but go and listen and read and use your resources to find your own truth. So, and it's the same thing. Um, I I believe that there's a lot of work that needs to be done and it needs to begin with our teaching staff before it really does um, trickles down to the students. Um, Because when I hear these comments from teachers, I'm not concerned about myself because I'm able to kind of have those conversations, especially with other adults, but I am concerned for the students in the classrooms, a growing demographic who looks more like me in the classroom. And if these conversations were to happen towards them, how would they feel and how would they react to them? And how much of a part of the community would those students feel? Uh, I am a mother of a, my daughter, my oldest daughter is in her third year of college. And um, I remember after we moved back from Dubai, her first English, uh, her the first commemoration of 9-11, she came home crying from school. Um, she felt like her teacher, her English teacher was accusing her of being a terrorist. And so to me, of course I was upset that my daughter was upset, but it was really important to me that I build the capacity and the skill with my, t- with my own children to develop the skills, to be able to have those conversations among their peers and their teachers, um, and then be there as a support advocate if they needed me but for the most part, they had to be part of the process and be a part of the education. The, the edu- and that, in that moment, they needed to be the educators as well. Um, so really, it came from a bunch of different directions and I, I, all together, it, just, it makes you realize more and more how important it is for this to be a formal part of the teacher education process. And for those teachers that are already in the classroom, how important it is for them to have that critical conversation.
0: Wow. wow, there was that a, lot a lot wow. of wisdom in what you just shared. So thank so you so, so, much so much for sharing that. And I agree with you hundred percent that there needs to be that um that conversation, you know, those those conversations where where we can all, you know, um understand one another, you know, um, because you know, a lot of times students students may have questions and um and I really applaud you for, for doing what you did and, and allowing them to, you know, to ask you and 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 helping to break down those. Even generational type uh, type walls that um, that exists. So uh, definitely, kudos to you, and I hope to see that more in education.
1: Yeah, I one of the things that I think um, because I have I work with some amazing people, um, and I think that my experience enables me to have those conversations because I was on the other other side of it. So like, I grew up in New York. In, during 9-11 so you know you heard a lot of those kind of comments and kind of those generalizations and and because you are on the receiving end you're kind of able to understand and empathize with the students in the classroom who are also on the receiving end and talk to those points whereas people who have never been on the receiving end i could see where they would be more afraid of having those conversations and less equipped to have those conversations in the classroom and so it becomes more of I would love to to kind of have this impact, but where do I start? Because it was never part of my formal education, nor was it a part of my experience as a, as a person.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. I, I definitely hear you on that. Um, so
1: I'm gonna ask you kind of
0: piggybacking off of what we were just discussing. So what are some ways that we as educators um, and students can come together and, and make a positive change in today's climate?
1: Well, honestly, the biggest thing is change. Changing hearts is is the hardest thing to do, and I think that um, the most important thing is for people to step out of their comfort zones and immerse themselves in these different communities and have critical conversations to not be afraid of the other. Um, I think our current political climate and in 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 like there was so much work that was done to kind of bring people together, and lately it, with 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 a lot of conversations, it's more about building those walls again and an us and them mentality. And so it's really tearing down that us and them mentality tearing down those walls, stepping out of our comfort zones into those different communities that don't look like us, that we don't understand, and just getting to learn and understand. Um, We all have implicit biases, and I think the biggest part of that process is to really kind of tackle your own implicit biases, um, come to -to face-to-face with them, and then, uh, you know, once you're aware of what those are, working to to tear them apart and, and really bring them down, and then once you're able to do that, then you can embrace the other or what's what's been labeled as the other as somebody who you know is a part of a community and who can contribute to that community who you can learn learn from be a friend to or you know like i said a community for everything that a community stands for um really embracing the core values that america was founded upon as a reality and more than just words on a paper um uh, and and really disrupting the cycle i think that's as educators that's our role disrupting the cycle of of kind of of hate and that happens in the classrooms because these kids who and i and i a lot of times i say it's not intentional like i know a lot of the comments that i've heard from colleagues or even from the students are not comments that meant to hurt but they're comments that come from a lack of knowing and understanding and so Uh, the the role of education is key in this. And the change is gonna happen, the change in our political climate is only gonna happen if there's a change in our classrooms. That's the key. Um, So I feel like that's where we can kind of unteach those stereotypes and teach multiple narratives as opposed to the one narrative. Um, Making sure that we're we're embracing students linguistically and culturally and, and not seeing them as broken people that need to be fixing, but as resources in a classroom where learning is fluid and they can learn from their peers, but also teach others um, as well about who they are and where they come from. So reaching out to community leaders, extending ourselves to different stakeholders, immersing ourselves in different communities, bringing that back into the classroom. Those are all things that I believe that we have to do as people and as educators in order for us to build the bridges and really fill in these gaps that exist currently.
0: Absolutely, I had to give you a clap on (laughs) that because
1: just, just that—that
0: that just speaks so much to to, um, to actionable steps that educators um, can take. You are listening to EduMatch.
1: The teacher's journey takes a deeper look at how we grow, learn, and succeed in the world of education. Throughout the book, you'll follow the journey of seven incredible educators that share their trials and triumphs they walk along their own journey, The Teacher's Journey will challenge you to reflect on who you are and why you are in education while providing personal examples and practical tools to you right now. Pairing with the book is The Teacher's Journey Podcast. There you can hear great educators as they reflect upon their journey and share the lessons they have learned along the way. You can find more information about the book, the podcast, and lots more by visiting costellacorner.com or you can also sign up for exclusive access to information, graphics, and educational training resources.
0: Now back to
1: more learning on the Edge of Match podcast.
0: So there was one thing that you said, it's, it's funny because someone um, had asked me one time, how do you, um, not you specifically, but educators, how, how do people in general, um, recognize if they, well, that they have implicit bias and where their biases lie. So I didn't really have an answer at the time. I, w- I was wondering if, if you might have one.
1: Well, if we want to look at like tools to find out, there's an implicit association test that Harvard University has created that everybody can kind of just start there. Because I think just with my conversation with teachers, because this has been a hot topic in our school, um, a group of teachers that I work with very closely, who I, they're like my tribe at school and my powerhouse and people who want to see change for the better. Um, We traveled to a teaching tolerance uh, conference in St. Louis last year, and it was a real eye-opener. And I think the biggest problem when we came back to kind of try to implement some of the things that we learned in the conference in our school was that a lot of people don't feel like they have implicit biases. I'm not racist, that's the first thing you'll hear. But um, an implicit bias, it's not necessarily having to do with race. It could be you know, with anything having to do with gender or a special education or just diversity for everything that diversity stands for and all the ways that we can be diverse from each other. So that's a place where people can just take a simple association test and realize that you know, we do have biases, even though they're really deep and inherent, and explicitly we say the things that we know need to be said because they're politically correct, but implicitly when we're acting on a whim and we're making those quick decisions in the classroom, if we look at the data, we will see for sure that there is a difference between our expectations, for example, between boys and girls and our expectations between a student who has a darker skin color versus a student who has a lighter skin color. Um, so there's data to support that, but in order for us to even get people to look at the data analytically and, and, and consider it, first they have to realize that, yes, even though I'd like to think that I am not one who holds implicit biases, we all have them. And this is, I feel like, a great tool just to start the conversation. It's not the be-all and end-all, but just to kind of get people who think that they, they don't fit into this category to realize that we all fit in that category. Nobody's an exception.
0: Yeah, that's true because you know everyone brings with them their their own lens from you know from their experiences growing up from you know the influences, the input that they have had from uh, external sources. Absolutely, so that is a key point. And one thing that you also uh, said about the single story, disrupting the single story. Um, just wanted to recommend. Uh, Chim- I'm sorry, Chimamanda Adichie's um, TED Talk about the danger of a single story and how. How it's so important to hear multiple perspectives. Um, so absolutely I hear you on that.
1: We so, start here with that. Every single year, that's my first week of school after a little get to know you activities. That's my first my analysis of that TED Talk. It's absolutely one of my favorites.
0: Yeah, absolutely same here. It's a very, very powerful one. Yeah, so I, I wanted to shift the lens really quickly to to you. So I noticed your email address. So
1: could you tell us a little bit about project pedagogy consulting? Yes, well it's it's a, in its current form um, and it's, 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 a, it's a baby, uh, it's only a few months old, but, um, it really came from, uh, again, a gap that I felt like I could help to address. My, edu- my career started in the private schools and as a private school teacher for eight years, there was never any funding for any kind of professional development. The school never had a strategic plan. We never had a quality assurance review because they couldn't afford it. So, um, project, project pedagogic consulting started with the hope of kind of providing a, a non-profit, no, no profit. It doesn't cost anything, um. For them to just get that support, I any mean, areas that I feel like I can, um, you know, do professional development for the teachers and for boards of education that, that serve those smaller communities are usually grassroots schools that are born out of a need, and they kind of stick to the grass. The, the people that start those organizations are the same people that are that are there for twenty years, um, and for and that kind of stints growth in a lot of those situations. So, um, it, it's a little consulting company that started to kind of fill in a need um, to help some of those schools with professional development, strategic planning, quality assurance, um, and then you know help them grow and 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 kind of develop with those areas.
0: Fantastic. Fantastic. So as I was listening, I'm sorry, it took me a second to unmute myself because <laughs> I was typing in the background because Peggy is watching right now and um, she is asking some amazing questions. So shout out to Peggy. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, so she was saying that she hadn't heard that TED talk, but she will, she just found it and will listen later. Um, she was asking if you have a, um, a blog or um, I guess how people can, can find you online.
1: Well, I'm on Twitter. Uh, at sj, sj educate um and then there's my email which is project pedagogy consulting at gmail.com for now um i would love to and that's something definitely i've considered and thought about even writing a book um and having a blog i just think that currently with the other projects that i'm taking on if i was going to add one more thing to my plate that needs consistency i would definitely something would have to give and i don't want to you know Put, put into question any of the quality of the other projects that I'm working on currently. Hopefully I'm graduating. Um, the plan is for me to graduate of uh, May in this at the end of this year. And once I do finish my dissertation, then I definitely will be considering to do something on a bigger scale where I can have consistent frequent communication with with more people.
0: That is excellent, and I'll put it out there publicly. If any time you want to publish a book, then EduMatch Publishing is here for you (laughs) because we would love to feature your story. Um, So awesomeness. So what else is on the horizon for you um, in the near future?
1: I don't know. I've learned that with education, you can't really plan too far in advance because every time I've planned, my career and my experiences have taken me elsewhere. So I know that um, I need to complete my dissertation. And I need to get into administration so that I can have that larger impact. Um, I also, I, I, I know, I need to know, I know that I need to have more impact. So I ask myself that question that I ask my students annually, and I'm not sure what that looks like yet. Uh, I would love to work with curriculum and kind of getting these things ingrained on a larger scale in a larger way consistently. Um, I definitely would love to also have impact on, edu- on teacher education. So I think an adjunct position. In um, a teacher education program is definitely something I would love to do in the future, in the near future. Um, and then as I continue to grow and learn, I think my, my mission will probably be, be the same. It'll continue to grow and change. And so I can't really speak to that yet. I'm not 100% sure what that looks like.
0: That's awesome. And being able to, you know, keep it, keep it fluid, keep it flexible. Um, I know that, you know, that I'm excited for you for in your doctoral process, as well as your NBCT process, and uh, everything else that is going to come, um, you know, definitely foresee amazing things um, coming down the pike. So uh, thank you again for taking the time to, to meet with us and to share. This has been such a powerful conversation.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And I really do appreciate that uh, opportunity to speak to this. And I hope that, you know, we just through this conversation, maybe raise some awareness and have more people that are willing to take some risk and have these conversations in our classrooms because they're necessary.
0: Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. So definitely, everyone, check out Sosa and Jaber. She is on Twitter at sj educate Educate, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. SJ Educate. So definitely check her out. Um, and just wanted to thank everyone for for tuning in with us. We will be back today um, at 6 p.m. Eastern. We're going to have Dr. tatul and Toya come up and talk about the possibilities with STEM in your classroom. So 6 p.m. Eastern time. It's going to be a tweet and talk. There's still time to sign up. So podcast.edumatch.org forward slash uh, sign up if you want to be on panel and if you want to watch, it's podcast with an S.edgymatch.org forward slash tweet talk. So, everybody, be easy. See you all in a few hours. Edge match. It's edge match. Edge match. It's edge match. You're at edge match. Edge match. Don't miss Edge match. de merda.